Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Maria Moles, an Australian drummer, composer and producer based in Nam or Melbourne. Maria's new album for Leolanda came out earlier this year on Room 40. I've been having a great time with it. It pulls on ideas from Kulintang, music from the Philippines, and has compositions that were based in a reversal of Maria's usual process on synthesizer to begin with before expanding outward to include percussion, drum kit, and tape loops. There's such an exploratory energy to this record, so many vivid images, ideas associated with family, mortality, real sense of painting the landscape, particularly during that opening piece where you've got this wavering, warbling drone, almost like a paintbrush, swishing along the sky in front of you and Maria's drumming, which flits on that opening track between like a cascading waterfall to a really rigid cyclical rhythm on the second piece. So much ground covered. I I absolutely love this record. I'm also a big fan of Gaptooth, which is a record by a band that Maria's in called Jala. Thoroughly recommend checking that out too. We cover lots of lovely stuff in this conversation. Great to get Maria's perspective on improvisation and what she holds important there. And the three records she picked were all absolute beauts. So please do head over to mariamoles.com. That's Maria's website attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening where I will collate all the relevant links if you're enjoying crucial listening firstly thank you also you can head over to coffeeko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening if you have any spare coins that you'd like to throw in the direction of my hosting fees the energy expended on the podcast grateful for whatever support you can give or if you're just listening and enjoying that's fabulous too okay hope you enjoy this one this is maria moles on crucial listening Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So you're here to talk about three important albums. Before we get to those, I want to ask about your new album on Room 40 for Leolanda. So firstly, I understand that reading about the record that Kulintang, music from the Philippines, was a prominent source of inspiration for this one. So I thought I'd start mm. by asking about where your initial exposure to this music came from and also what was the appeal when you first heard Kulintang music? Yeah, so I wanted to learn more about this music um, as a way of learning more about my mother's heritage. Um, I feel like 
it wasn't really something that I'd ever embraced, you know, growing up. But then I think as uh, getting older and sort of um, working on developing my sound and uh, and having a, a musical voice, it, it, it just seemed natural to explore that side of my heritage and and, and really learn, learn something from it. Um, mm. I also think that, you know, traditional music can be you know it's very hypnotic and um has something quite primitive about it and um i'm i'm normally drawn to that sort of music that can be quite minimal in the way it develops so i think that was what initially drew me to it as well um mm. but i did find it i did find it harder to um come across i had to actively search for it it wasn't really something that um i'd listened to before actively Hmm. digging in um, but it's very similar to music of Indonesia gamelan music was traditionally used as you know being being performed at uh, rituals and so it has that sort of um, ensemble um, yeah you know dancing and yeah very percussive and also very melodic despite you know being played mostly all on percussive instruments but um, yeah. So I I really was inspired by that music that I'd heard. I think I also really liked just how raw and organic it sounded when I was when I was listening to it. And yeah, also the the pulse is kind of seems like it's a bit um, I guess loose, but also like really together in this way. It's it's like it's um, you know, less metronomic, but more imitating waves or you know ripples and that that kind of thing so I was really really inspired by that and wanted to to take elements of that into my own music I think maybe most explicitly on I mean firstly I should say does it refer both to the style of music and also a specific instrument as well is that right yeah, so there's a Kulintang instrument, which is um, a set of gongs. Mm-hmm. So similar to gamelan as well. Uh, so they yeah each have a tone, but the the notation isn't. Um, it's not like formal musical notation. They use numbers instead. Right. But yeah, so it's like two rows of gongs that are sat down, and so you've, you're sitting down while you're playing it. And it's set to a, a scale. It looks amazing. I looked at some videos online, and obviously, your last track on this album, "Distant Hills," is played on the Kilintan, yeah. right? So I wonder what that transition was like for you to go from listening to and discovering this music to then you know, going to Monash University and actually playing Kilintan. What was that like? Yeah, I felt super lucky to have been able to to go out to Monash and, and play on the cooling tang there. They've got this amazing collection of um, music from all around the world. But, yeah, that was really generous of them to just let me come in and, and record on the instrument. But it was interesting because I'd never played one before. Mm. Um, and so I, I'd try and look up, you know, different um, pieces that I could learn. And so I would just have all the numbers there. And I thought, oh, well, I'll try and, you know, play these when I get there and I'd sort of I guess just play them on a on a table just sort of imitating 
as if I were playing the cool and tang. But then it turned out when I when I went out to record, which I, I had a feeling this would happen anyway, but I I just um played around on it and was enjoying it so much that I I ended up using for the recording just the first um play that oh, wow. I Yeah. Yeah. So I think I I just had a um bunch of different recordings that I did but yeah the one that I was happiest with was me just first playing the instrument (laughs) Um, and I I think that's because I could hear that there was um, you know yeah this playfulness where I was just kind of being like oh okay this is what this sounds like and Mm. um, yeah I I liked I liked the sound of it I mean another thing I guess is quite novel for this album is the fact that you've noted that you primarily start composing you know other works on the drum set and that this kind of reversed the flow by the sounds of it so you started out actually composing on the other tracks using the synthesizer um yeah yeah what was it like to flip the flow like that um it actually it the process felt very um natural and intuitive i it was it was kind of refreshing to think of the percussion and the drum kit as accompanying the the synth and the mm. harmony but i think you know it, with tracks like in panaz um the second track the drums just naturally came to the the forefront anyway uh, but yeah. um but yeah it was it was nice to to change it up and um yeah the process felt quite quite easy um and it was it was nice to kind of think of different ways to combine the the synth with the drum kit and and percussion what was your decision to work that way because i i know that obviously that this record came through came together primarily through lockdown so i'm wondering whether that had its own applied its own pressure to the way that you approached this record as well as opposed to how you might have done it in you know other circumstances yeah i think i think it did because my partner and I were sharing a tiny apartment and um sharing a studio and I think I think those limitations kind of did affect um the way I approached the compositions Mm -hmm. so I just found it I guess easier and I guess more calming to just be in my in my room just on the on the synth and approaching it that way knowing that I could just do that at any time rather than being like okay now I have to play on the drum kit and record I could just always be playing on the on the synth because it's a tiny little um Yamaha synth so I would just have it set up in my bedroom and yeah one of those things where it's always there so you can just go and do it whenever you feel like do you think you'll work that way again now I'm not sure actually um maybe I'm not against doing that I I do I do have ideas of um maybe working like going back to to just recording and composing a solo drama album Mm. um and then maybe either manipulating that through different effects or or adding the synths to that but um yeah maybe I, I really did like that way of writing finally as well I just wanted to ask about the fact that the album is dedicated to your mom. I mean, she came up right at the top of this 
conversation mm. but i wondered if you could tell me why that dedication felt apt for for leolanda again i i think it's just um yes yeah, c- celebrating that um her life and and her heritage and um yeah which is something that i i don't feel like i ever probably probably did and you know i guess listening to that music i couldn't help but um think of her and i i mentioned in the foot in the notes but with uh in panaz I think the day that I was recording that, um, I got a phone, we were speaking on the phone and she asked um, whether I would bury her ashes at her dad's farm um, called Impanaz in the Philippines. And it just made me think about that moment and how I would properly celebrate her life and I I feel like that's something that everyone has to deal with in Mm. in various ways and yeah just made me think about what that feeling would be and how what the ritual would be and so I wanted to dedicate that rhythm that I was hearing and writing um to her nice well, the record is awesome. Like I say, it's out on Room 40, but I'd really implore people to to check it out. I've been spinning it so much since it dropped. So I'll oh, thanks. include links in the show notes. And yes, please do go and buy it, listen to it, all that good stuff. Now, Maria, we, we'll go to your important records now. So one question I like to ask at the top is how you thought about the term important when coming up with your list so was there a way that you understood important in order to produce the list of three records that you did yeah well at first i i'm sure you've had this before but i was kind of like oh three like (laughs) it can be so hard (laughs) narrowing it down to three albums um but then after thinking about it more i was like well you know, because you could either go with records that I'm listening to now that I've just discovered or like older records. But um, yeah, I guess I just tried to think of records that I feel have shaped me as a musician. Mm. Um, and, you know, that th- when that feeling when you listen to a, a band um, or an artist and what they do kind of connects to you in this way that makes you feel like, oh, you know, if I could create something that's half as good as this then I'd be happy you know Mm -hmm. so I guess that yeah with the albums that I I've chosen I feel like they had that effect on me cool well let's go with your first one which one do you want to talk about first um maybe the next open cool yeah so maybe start by giving me a little introduction as to why this album is important to you well, I feel like um, I really love the next because of how they um, approach improvising and how it's so uh, meditative but still very engaging and transcendent. So they mm. they sort of tr- you know you're 
it's such a um, spacious sound world that you're drawn into as a listener. So, yeah, I remember when I first heard them, um, my friend introduced me to the album Sex. And so after that, I just listened to each album as it came out. Um, but, yeah, the open in particular I really loved because there's there's something so calming about it. It really, and I guess with the name as well, it, it really makes me think of, you know, an open sort of vast landscape, you know, which is something that I... I find very, yeah, calming and healing to listen to. It, mm. it reminds me of how healing music can be. But also just it, like the production as well is really incredible. Even at the beginning with um, Tony Buck just playing the bells, there's something so – it just sounds so rich and warm and um, just satisfying to, to listen to. I just find Tony Buck very inspiring in the way that he approaches rhythm, especially in this one. Um, it's like there's this in implied groove throughout it. I just love the way that he plays. He could just be playing a, a pattern on the hi-hat and it just sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like with this record, they're playing a lot with overdumbing, but it seems like they're having a lot of fun with it. I, I, the whole recording seems very pure and um, you can tell they really love playing music and I guess they've been playing together for so long. You can really hear how all their parts interlock and complement one another but also they're just such strong – they have such strong voices individually as well and it's just this really beautiful weaving of, of um, yeah, different voices – coming through i saw you pick this one for a um list of i can't remember what the criteria was but like important records for cyclic defrost oh uh, yeah and there was a nice comment that you put about this one where you said it sounds like it was never intended to be played in front of an audience which makes immediate sense to me but i wondered if you could elaborate on what gives you that impression in the next and open specifically i guess it, it seems like they're taking a lot of time with with what they do they're not they're not rushing anything um uh they're really yeah leaving space for for ideas to develop and, and they seem like they're really they're really in it they're, it's it's not <laughs> yeah. um uh, yeah, I think you can tell that they're in enjoying the process of just playing together. Mm. Yeah, there's something that comes into my head whenever I see them perform where there's this, there is just like a closed triangular shape that they generate where they're playing. Mm. It's a really nice inward energy. I mean... Yeah, totally. Have you seen them live? I have, yeah. Yeah, only a couple of times, but um, yeah, it's amazing. Have you seen them? Yeah, I saw them a couple of times as well. One at Cafe Otto in London. Oh, yeah. Nice intimate space. And then another in a big town hall in Cheltenham, which was totally different, but because they're so wonderfully dynamic, it felt like that they were really leaning into the space each time. You had this huge billowing sensation in the town hall. 
and something that just felt so much more spatially agile in the cafe which was fantastic what was what was the what was the venue like when you saw them well i first saw them at this pub called the corner which apparently they were playing at um they had a regular i I guess it was an annual show and they'd do three like a run of three shows each year um but i saw one of those and it was one of the last ones that they'd they did so that would have been in i think 2011 um yeah and that was that was really beautiful but then i saw them at the recital center which was great so it's this yeah big theater and it just sounded incredible in there Mm. but um yeah you i get the impression that because it is all improvised they could just play play to the space yeah this is the third time i think the next have come up on the podcast so Lawrence English oh, right. picked Ether and oh, great. Kevin Martin picked Sex. I'm wondering yeah, there you go. for you whether there's like any other records beyond Open that may have been in the mix for picking a, a next record here. Like, are there any others that float to the top for you? I was actually thinking Sex as well. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, I just think that album's amazing. But I, I think there is something special to me about about open i I think just because of how stunning it is Mm. um and and that it is one of those albums as well that you can you know really i guess listen to it and let it wash over you and be fully absorbed in it but I, i guess it's fairly accessible to me yes is what i yeah i feel like this one's a really good one for chris abrahams as well because it's just like he has so much space to do his thing so that sort of rainfall aesthetic he has is really forefront on this one is it a record that you still listen to now yeah um i actually listened to it yesterday Ah, um following it up to this (laughs) um but maybe before then maybe it hadn't been for a year or so hmm but definitely when I first listened to it, um, I was playing it a lot. And one final question on this one as well is, I don't know how easy this is to pinpoint in words, but you mentioned that these records all shaped you as a musician somehow. And do you have any feelings mm. as to what that looks like with the next? Yeah, I think the way that, um, that Tony Buck approaches the kit I think really influenced the way that I improvise uh, both when playing solo but also playing with other musicians. Um, just just the way that he and and all of all of them, the members, but th- the way that he warps the time and, and uh, implies these um, you know crescendos, but then it might just um, diminish and um not really resolve in anything Mm. but just the textures that he uses and the yeah the the overall feeling of his his rhythm and his playing i feel like was quite influential Mm -hmm. but also the the space that they they leave and again that way that they all interlock and have their own voice that works with the whole ensemble 
I, I really liked that approach to improvising because mm. I, I think that when I was first improvising, you know, you'd play with someone and especially if you really look up to them, you'd, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I, we need to connect. So you'd really be trying to imitate what they do or, you know, you have to be hitting on the same thing for it to be really locking in. But yeah. really, you, it, it can be feel more connected if you are both uh, having your own individual approach but it sort of locks together in this way Maria, let's go to your second important album now. So which one would you like to talk about now? Uh, maybe Alice Coltrane. Cool. So you've gone for Journey and Satchidananda. And yes. Yes. So, yeah, if you give me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you too. Um, I feel like I was listening to this album when I was... Um, listening to more um free jazz and uh spiritual jazz so yeah artists like alice coltrane john coltrane and don cherry and ferris mm. sanders uh milford graves um you know and just um really loving the energy that would would come from these artists but um i wanted to choose this album because I guess it's a similar thing to the to open it, it it just has this um it just I feel like it just flows through these different emotions and again it's just very calming to listen to mm. but also as I think that she released this after um John Coltrane had passed away so it it sounds like um you know you're you're witnessing her transformation um after dealing with the the grief so you know that there's there's that in there but there's there also seems to be joy and harmony um and, and it's quite soulful as well like the it's very groovy which is also very distinctive that the modal jazz is you know, because it is stuck on this um, tonality, the improvisers have room to be to be free with it, and the the groove is just so you know that rolling kind of rhythm, which which is something that I really love. Do you remember? You said that you were kind of coming into this record while you were getting into spiritual jazz. I guess like late sixties, early seventies. I think it was this. I think this was nineteen seventy, wasn't it? But um. Yeah, I think so. Seventy one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, how how old were you then? This would have been. Um, I was studying music at the time, so it would have would have been twenty one. I think. Mhm. Um. So yeah, thirteen years ago now. What do you, do you have any thoughts on like what led you into 
kind of getting interested in this sort of spiritual jazz like Alice Coltrane? I think it was um, getting into jazz more and like it obviously enjoying it, um, but maybe not feeling that connected to it, feeling a bit um, detached mm-hmm. from it. Um, but then, yeah, discovering artists like Alice Coltrane um, and, yeah, drummers like, you know, Milford Graves and even European drummers like Tony Oxley or, yeah, they, these mm. musicians that um, it's like they, they take th- their knowledge and their their training and, um, you know, it's, it's obviously so ingrained in, in what they do. I guess it's more than training to them. It's yeah, a part of you know, it's it's a movement. So they just take it somewhere else. And it all, it has this um seems like it's influenced by traditional music from you know, Southeast Asia and and Indian classical music and just this really beautiful blend of of influences within the music. Mhm. I mean, every track on this record is an absolute beaut. But yeah, are there any in particular that protrude for you as favourites or ones that maybe connected most potently? Uh, yeah. Well, the first track, the title track, "Journey in Such an Ananda," is great. Mhm. But sh- I'm not sure if it's pronounced "Shiva Loka." Mhm. Uh, the second track, but that one's really beautiful as well. Yeah. What was remarkable about that one is I know you also have like Radiohead as a touch point for you in terms of important music, but mm. hearing that and realizing that their track Nude was just a lift of that bass line, like the same rhythm. I couldn't believe it. They, they, I know they're huge fans, but they just plagiarized oh, it I did... so blatantly. Yeah. I didn't even make that connection. I think it was only last year that I did but I think I must have played them both quite like back to back or was listening to Shiva Loka but yeah it's, it's the exact same refrain so cool wow yeah. I'm gonna yeah I'll listen to it and maybe, maybe it'll be so obvious that be, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I mean I noticed as well that you've mentioned like again the pronunciation may be wrong but Ta the El Daoud as being mm. one that seems to connect with you as well. I saw you cited the track Blue Nile on that cyclic defrost list. Yeah. And were there other records by Alice Coltrane that could have I mean she has such obviously a, a, a vast array of material covering such, you know, a lot of ground, but were there any other records in the mix here? Well yeah, that that record that I included in the cyclic defrost, um that one it's quite different to this really mm. um in terms of the feel but that whole record's pretty amazing and and how it just keeps on um they just sound like they're having the best time when they're playing <laughs> yeah. so they just going to keep on jamming yeah that um and it's so playful and yeah it's it's just incredible mm. one of those tracks that you just feel like they're having the best time that you want to feel how they're how they're feeling i'm wondering as well with this one i know with tony buck seemed to come Mm. to the fore as like um being a 
making a particular impression on you as a, a percussionist. Um, mm. Is that the same with this record? It's Rashid Ali who's on the drums here, who is obviously just outrageous. Um, mm. Is that a source of the connection to this record for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like I was saying before, with that that rolling rhythm and that that driving driving force behind it. Um, that's something that I yeah find quite inspiring. It's kind of like Elvin Jones has that thing as well. It's just like this really like incredible energy that just drives drives the music. That's something that I try to think that I channel mm. sometimes when playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, with this one, when you mention these records shaping you as a musician, um, mm. what does that look like with Journey and Saturday Nanda? Um, I feel like... when listening to it i guess it was yeah that th that thing of um demonstrating and 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 flowing between different emotions in a really beautiful way um and, and having that that playful energy but um also that freedom within playing and improvising that's something that connected with me and is something that i've wanted to to feel and aim towards when when playing um i feel like I, I guess over the last couple of years you know i haven't been improvising as much with you know various people but um i i feel like the the really beautiful thing about getting to to improvise is that you can have these little moments and it might even just be a split second where you feel like you're really connected to the music and you're not really thinking about an audience or any sort of outcome or and it's kind of the reason why I feel like artists do it um, mm -hmm. and, and you can hear this music where it seems like the all the players are are just in that space which I, I, I guess is what we strive towards as as improvisers and and performers let's go to your final important record now so yeah what have we got Tyendo Braxton Hive One yeah maybe you could start by giving me a introduction as to why this one's important to you too um well I I used to really love battles um mm -hmm. I think they're still around but it's a indie math rock band um but i discovered Tyon Dybraxton's music after that um after he left 
but yeah, I, I just find the music that he makes is really focused and very intriguing. I feel like, you know, he might make sounds or have an arrangement that um, I, I don't know what the process was and I, I enjoy that mm. about the music. Um, and his solo music is a lot more spacious than um, than battles. Uh, but, yeah, I, I feel like the percussion is still quite... It's a strong element of the music, which I really like. Like in this album, there aren't really any melodies at all. No. The percussion is quite at the forefront of the music, which I really like. But it would have been about maybe five or six years ago that I was really into this album. So again, I, I chose it because I feel like it was one of those albums that I listened to it and it really made me want to play around with electronics a bit more and yeah, think of different ways that electronics can be combined with percussion. Um, and it's also quite unique music. I, I think it, uh, it's quite ambitious music to make and it's still again quite groovy at times like yes. the rhythms are just it, it's almost like dance music at times but then it's um, quite abstract as well yeah there are definitely moments that border on like techno but yeah you almost feel like you can't call them that because of the context that they've come from uh, yeah positionally but yeah um, I mean this this record's really interesting. I was reading about the the background of it, and so it's like an adaption of a Guggenheim kind of installation performance, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Which I I didn't see, but um, I was going to ask, yeah. And I didn't actually realize that when I first got into the album. Oh, interesting! Like kind of discovering its roots in the installation, and obviously it's like looks really cool from the pictures i've seen you know mm. it talks about it being a part architectural installation where you've got five musicians sitting cross-legged atop their own space age oval pods as they're described it's like it's a really mm. interesting setup and sort of for me kind of framed how i was sort of listening to stuff in terms of you know how the, how the musicians are kind of spatially arranged feels almost quite to be to, to to impose itself upon the the music, so I'm wondering if it changed your relationship with it to kind of discover its origins in this installation. Well, I think it translates to um, an album quite well. You know, like I I didn't feel like it was lacking anything, mm. but yeah, I could I could totally see it working in in you know within an installation, um, and so it sounds like it was surround sound. Right. Oh, wow. Cool. But no, it didn't, it, not particularly. It didn't change the way that I'd listen to it or or think of it. You mentioned as well that this record spurred you into looking at ways of utilising electronics with your own music. I mean, prior to discovering this record, had you done any of, the, done any of those sorts of experiments or what was the kind of state of play for you in terms of bringing electronics into your percussive work? Mm, I had it a bit, actually. Um, I did, um, but th this kind of 
made me realize like oh wow you can you can do this kind of thing you know it, right, it felt yeah. like it was the next the next step um into composing that way I, I i guess yeah like electroacoustic composition yeah um so i really love the way that he blends i mean it's all it's mostly very electronic glitchy sounds going on but you know i think it's boyd's the first track where there's the organic sounds of the clapping uh in contrast with you know the faster percussive sounds but then and electronic sounds and then there's this like really rich warm uh like bendy synth Mm -hmm. that drone that kind of um yeah is just over the top of all of that and there's something so satisfying about those contrasting textures going on to me as a listener Mm -hmm. and obviously he's very clever in the way he's composed and arranged the pieces like even though yeah i guess there's no it's not a conventional song structure mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm not sure how arranged it is really but seems like he's experimenting i guess it's like the definition of really experimenting with different sounds and going with a certain feeling rather than a um yeah a set structure totally you mentioned as well being into battles prior to this i think you can correct me if i'm wrong but braxton i think was only involved in mirrors uh, mirrors mirrored um mirrors yeah yeah um how did you get into battles um my older brother quite liked them and i remember uh there was a video oh, i can't remember what the track's called now but they're they're in a like a glass cube mm-hmm. um but yeah i find the drummer pretty amazing um yeah he has the huge really high up crash symbol (laughs) yeah um which i just think is great i I still i think that that album is amazing Mm -hmm. but um i i think i am more drawn to turned braxton as a solo artist um and that yeah having a bit more space moving at a slower tempo and experimenting with with sounds a bit more i can definitely hear the battles like energy particularly from that first record yeah. on, on this one right it's like um yeah yeah it almost reminds me of, kind of like sun aurora or artists like that where it's got this like elastic buoyancy to the electronics yeah it's super playful it's lovely yeah definitely yeah final question on this one is i mean is it something that you still listen to now yeah, it is actually. Um, yeah, time and time again, I'll I'll have a listen to it. Just be because I love I love that process of yeah sticking with something. And um, again, it seems like it's um, quite intuitive, which is something I I feel like that's the way I like to compose music.
mentioned your your brother being into battles and that being a route into them for you i mean i always had a really interesting relationship with my brother in terms of the music he was into and kind of a push pull mm. where sort of i felt like especially as a teenager i wasn't allowed to like it if he did but even if i you know ultimately deep down was really attracted to it um what you you couldn't like it if he did yeah like it's just uh, he was a younger brother i think you know classic being what mm. 11 12 and yeah wanting to carve out my own niche and not wanting to concede the fact that you know my little brother two years younger than me maybe was going in some directions that i wanted to sort of follow as well um yeah i got over that with time but i mean what was your relationship like with your brother in terms of music taste did you pull a lot of other things from him did he pull stuff from you yeah definitely definitely um he's six years older so you know we were both getting piano lessons from an early age and uh he ended up studying composition but yeah a lot of the music he would he would listen to music a lot and I, I feel like I really looked up to him um, and still do, but there's something about, you know, when you're a, a kid and you're, you know, you do look up to your old, older siblings, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it's kind of the opposite to what you're saying with your brother, <laughs> because I, I feel like I really looked up to him and he'd show me this stuff and I'd, be, I'd, I'd think it was amazing, you know, um, but then, I'd grow older and he'd play something and be like, oh, actually, I'd, no, I don't actually like this as much. And I think that caused a little bit of tension. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, he used to play a lot of um, – he loved Steve Reich and what else did he play? He loved the Kronos Quartet and – Oh, cool. Yeah, Philip Glass. Yeah, lots of minimal composers. And then Australian composers like um, Matthew Heidson um, – yeah, lots of I feel like I really discovered a lot of great music from him. Um Yeah, and including on to yeah, in our adulthood as well. It's cool that you didn't have the same ego impeding you that I clearly did. <laughs> um good job. <laughs> One of a question for you Maria is about how you tend to bring music into your life as a listener, like what are your primary means of listening to and consuming or purchasing music day to day um i i guess it's different um sometimes i'd I'd really like to listen to something and you know almost like a deep focus listening although i'm trying to remember oh i think the last recording i did that with was um john hassel power spot Mm -hmm. um and and just really being immersed by the the music that way but also it can be really nice just to listen to music when you're you know cooking dinner or driving and that I feel like yeah it can just vary depending on how you're feeling Mm -hmm. and where you are and yeah what activity you're up to but mostly I buy records on Bandcamp Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I I do like to buy vinyl as well, but I haven't really been doing that as much lately. But I'd like to get back into it. Well, Maria, thank you so much. It's been awesome to speak to you about your 
your new record and get some insight on that after having enjoyed it for so long but also you know this was a really nice list of three records as well so yeah thank you for talking me through why these are important to you too thanks jack thanks so much and to everyone listening we'll see you next time goodbye